You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. The reason I haven't been available to do podcasts lately is because it's been crazy season in my life. Um, I've had actual crazy stuff happening, like including a really nasty fall off a bicycle. Um, We weren't moving at any speed. It was my wife and I mounting our tandem. I clipped in and tipped the bike over on the other side, fell and thought I broke, but turns out I sprained my wrist really badly. So, which is great because now I have a really screwed up left wrist to go with my already torn rotator cuff on my right shoulder. Just a wreck. And as those of you with physical maladies know, sometimes they can keep you from not only doing what you normally do, but thinking the way you normally think. And so I, I haven't been able to line up interviews the way I usually do. Or like even to do one of those solo podcasts, I I just haven't had the clarity of thought. And at the same time, I've taken on some new partners in the podcast thing. They're working with me on this thing now for the last couple of weeks. And they're engineering a whole bunch of changes. And I I think you're going to see a lot of positive stuff um, in the Patreon world, in the world of newsletters, which we've never had, but we're going to in a whole new episode structure. Lots of good stuff happening, but it's... All that, all that back stuff has taken some time. And so I was feeling really bad about this, not putting anything out. And then I saw on an email that my friend Dan Barker, who is the head of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which does a lovely job of protecting the separation of church and state and kind of keeps secular people in really difficult environments from having religion jammed down their throat or, or from being sort of punished for not being overtly religious in certain situations, public schools and stuff like that. They do great work, worth checking out, worth looking at. But but Dan just published another book. And this book isn't about separation of church and state stuff. It's about free will. It's kind of like Sam Harris's book about free will, except, except Dan's book is called Free Will Explained. And it's kind of He's, he's kind of trying to help people understand the weird reality in that from a scientific perspective, we probably don't have free will, but from a social perspective, we need to believe that we do. And I'm looking at this book and I'm thinking, wait a second, I helped him edit that book. He sent me a copy of that book way back. I was one of the people that read, read it and gave him some notes and we talked about it a few different, and then I thought, wait a second, I recorded one of those conversations. And it was a really good conversation and I never aired it because the book wasn't out and now the book is out and I went and I found it and I like it. And so here it is. This is me and Dan Barker talking about free will. I'll catch you on the other side. So we were talking before. Yeah. And like, what's funny is most of the people that listen to my podcast are not part of the larger secular movement. So they don't know. They, they, many of them won't like I was sort of assuming that everybody would know who you are because like you're a big name in that movement but like I'm, I'm realizing like my people won't necessarily know and so you know we were talking about what you do and and and, and some of the work that you're doing and you gave me this great Ingersoll quote about oh, the weed the weeds yeah say it again yeah say it again um yeah um 
the one who pulls the weeds is just as much a gardener as the one who plants the seeds. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but that's how I say it. Ingersoll said that. And, and of course, like anybody that quotes Ingersoll to me is already my best friend because I love him so much. But I was thinking like, when you said that quote to me, we were talking about like Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris and these kind of anti-theist yeah. guys. And, and I was saying that even though I don't have the same vibe as them, I appreciate them. And you said, and that was when you said like, yeah, they're pulling the weeds they're, yeah. and, and you're sowing new seeds in the wake of that. Yeah. But then I thought about, I hung up the phone and I thought about you and I thought, you know what? The person who protects the garden who builds the fence around the garden and keeps intruders from coming in and messing it up. They're also a gardener. And I think that, uh, and I kind yeah. of think that's what you do with this freedom from religion foundation is that it seems like you're fighting to protect the garden, to protect people's ability to pursue goodness in a secular way by like fighting for the separation of church and state and keeping governments from messing with people and jamming religion down, jamming supernaturalism down their throats. Like, isn't, don't you sort of see yourself as like you're manning the, you're manning the, 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 the wall and, and protecting the rest of us. Yeah. And since, uh, since our founder and our co-president are women, we could say we are womaning the wall. Oh, my, right. my bad. My, <laughs> no, 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 there you're right. No you're right. You're right. <laughs> You are personing, personing. (laughs) but like you are, you're protecting. I mean, I mean, and and what I didn't realize until you told me was that with 28,000 members, your foundation is like the biggest secular or, you know, kind of overtly secular organization probably in the world. Well, that, that is true. Um, Secular in the sense of atheists and agnostics and secular humanists and non-believers. So we're not we're not exactly an atheist group, although most of our members would call themselves atheists. We don't care about that. But, um, you know, I I would bet that there's more atheists in the Republican Party, actually, than there are in our group. But they're not an explicitly That's, free thought you, you group. Know what you know I what I mean? mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. But so, I mean, on the one hand, 28,000 sounds pretty good. But if there's going to be more like what, 50 million non-believers in the country now or something? Right. So we, we're just barely scratching the surface. Well, and, but he, and here's the funny thing is, your thing is called the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And I'm joining, like you'll now have 28,001. Because like after yesterday, I was like, I got to join. Like I, those people huh. are protecting me. And yet what's funny is, is that you even have religious people who are part of your, like you're the Freedom From Religion Foundation, but like I'm a religious naturalist in the sense of like, I don't believe in any supernaturalism, but I define religion as the, you know, the collective pursuit of life's ultimate questions. And so like, I, I know what you mean by religion is what I call supernaturalism. Um, but, but, but I'm with you, man. I, I, I I'm yeah. so grateful for the work that you're doing. So we're interviewing Anthony Penn this week on our show and his, in his new book about colorblindness, he makes that very same point. He also thinks there is a place for the word religion in society, as long as it just means it's basic word of bringing people together. Yeah. But I think we all can see that in, in common usage, the word religion does have a sort of knee-jerk supernatural part to it. Yeah, I always so have to have redefine a, it. I always have, have to redefine to, it. And we have a job to do to make sure that you know, when you're talking in general culture, people are going to hear God when you talk about religion, right? They're just going to hear that. So 
But the Freedom from Religion Foundation basically uses that phrase in two different ways. At one level, we are a group of individuals who are free from religion. You know, we're non-believers, right? So we religion doesn't rule our lives. We think what we like. And even you would say people who come to any of your gatherings, they're free to leave, right? I mean, they're free to come, they're free to go. Yes, we, we do not coerce people. That is absolutely yeah, it, true. <laughs> exactly. So they're basically choosing. They're free from some top-down religious authority. But the second way we use that word, is that, it, which is more important, I think, is that we think our government needs to be free from religion. Our government is neutral. Our government has to fold its arms and back off and say, you guys talk among yourselves, we're not going to get involved. And whenever the government breaks that rule, when in the, whenever the government interferes to either promote or hinder somebody's religious freedom, same with freedom of speech, then we will step in and say, look, we, we individuals are free, but you government, you're not. Government does not have free speech. The government has to be neutral. So the government needs to be free from religion. So that's the state church. Side I, I love that. That's, that's helpful to me because, you know, on, on that level, I think the name is right because I don't even want my secular humanism jammed down anybody's throat. Like I, 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 it, it, to the extent that I'm pursuing goodness in this very particular way, that has to be the government should have nothing to do with encouraging people to do that or not to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Although although a lot of policies are based on moral principles, of course, equality and fairness and hunger and need and all that, which are general human moral principles yeah. that we wouldn't call those religious. Those are human, you know. Yeah, and I I guess I just I it, well, the weird thing is is like every I was thinking the other day like why don't they call it the freedom from supernaturalism? foundation and then i thought well then people would just think they were fighting against bizarre f crazy cults and they wouldn't realize yeah. that they're also trying to keep government free of mainstream you know god stuff yeah yeah well and and of course a, a historical point is that our first amendment mentions the word religion congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So it's in our constitution, yeah, the yeah. word. And so uh, Ann Gaylor, who's the principal founder of our group, um, who died last year, she, um, she always used to say, you can't have religious freedom unless you have the freedom to dissent. You can't say yes if you can't say no. And of course, we non-theists can make that argument to believers like Christians. You've chosen Jesus as your savior. Well, you should applaud us who have said no, because if we can't say no, you can't say yes. Your That's yes doesn't freedom. mean anything. Right, right. Exactly. So we, in fact, you should, we underscore your freedom to say yes by existing as people in this country who say no. Okay. Perfect segue. Because what I really like, I like, and what I really want to talk with you about is freedom of choice. My son-in-law has been reading Sam Harris's free will book. And he comes, you know, he sort of, he sort of comes to me and pronounces like, it's all determined. There's no such thing as free will. It's all an illusion. And, and, and a part, I, I've read that book. I'm sure you've read that book. Yeah. And it's hard to disagree with Sam's logic. And yet at the end of the day, there's something profoundly unsatisfying about, it, it almost feels like an, a new form of Calvinism. Where all of our all of our decisions are predetermined, and and we really don't we really don't have any choice in the end. And you come at this thing completely differently. 
Yeah, and uh, I actually agree with everything substantial in Sam's book. Sam's a hard determinist. I am a determinist as well, although he probably wouldn't call me a hard determinist. The scientific types tend to be more, lean more towards hard determinism, which means not just that, that we don't have free will or the ability to choose to do otherwise than what we actually did, but that we should not even use the phrase free will in any meaningful way, right? And so in Sam's book, he says, and he's right about this, free will is an illusion. And even Daniel Dennett and even uh, Mark Belagauer and others who embrace the idea of free will philosophically, they also say, yeah, it's an illusion. But my take on it is that a lot of life is an illusion, and it's an illusion to live for. It's an illusion to, to embrace because it's a useful illusion. And I make a distinction between illusions and delusions. Like Richard Dawkins didn't call his book The God Illusion. He called it The God Delusion. So what's the difference? Well, an illusion is something that is based in reality in some way or other that tricks the mind. And then we, we understand that what's happening is not real. It's an illusion. Look, we look at an optical illusion. You can see it this way, and then your brain can flip to see it that way. Have you ever seen those things? Like, well, how do I do that? You know. Right. So illusions are like, um, like depth perception. Depth perception is an illusion. There's you're not really seeing something in 3D, but your brain is seeing two two dimensional objects. Like when you put on those glasses at the movie. Yeah. It's not really. You feel like you could touch it, but it's not really there. So you know it's it's based in some real input. But it's not actually real in the brain, although you can pretend like it. You can have a, you can live the fiction if you want to, right? When you read a book or right. watch. I a mean, book. I mean, it's one. It's almost like pornography. I, I, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. I know what an illusion is. Okay. What's the difference a, between that and a delusion? Okay, a delusion has no root or basis in reality at all, but the brain sees it as a reality. So it's the exact opposite. Illusions we know are based on something or other that we're putting there, our brain is interpreting, right? But delusions are just totally false fictions that are not based in any sense of reality, but the brain doesn't even recognize that it's false. The brain actually thinks it's true. So I'm Napoleon, right? I mean, uh, um, I'm, I'm not actually Napoleon, but uh, those kind of delusions can be harmful. Most illusions would tend to be harmful. Most illusions, if you recognize them as illusions, I don't see how they would be harmful. In fact, some of them are actually beneficial. The illusion of depth perception is one example. Okay, so Sam Harris says, and, and it's funny, like if, if, if people haven't read that book, I mean, what he basically says is, is since everything follows on as a consequence of the thing before it, that everything, that, that a thought comes into our mind unbidden like we don't control what we think we have that everything is a result of some stimulus and and so there's not a lot of choice you don't even choose your own thoughts really and your and your choices are an illusion in the sense of and they're not a delusion uh because there's some reality like that your decisions come from actual inputs in your own mind, but the idea that somehow you can steer them is an illusion. Yeah. So the illusion that Sam talks about correctly, and I also agree, uh, is the, the idea of a, what they call libertarian free will. The idea that there's something in us 
that transcends nature, that there's a, a religious people or supernaturalists would say um, it's a soul or a spirit or some higher thing that's above and beyond our bodies that gives us the freedom to direct our bodies, like from a higher platform, right? That's what you would call a kind of a top-down um, libertarian free will. There's also some non-supernaturalists who think there is a, such a thing as libertarian free will in a natural world without a supernatural God. So they would be like dualists. They would think that there's matter and then there's something above matter called mind or whatever, some essence of something that's up there above and beyond, right? So when most- In, in each term, individual person, that in a sense, like I have yeah. a brain, but I also have a mind. And, yeah. and 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 so I have a will, and I'm able to actually steer and dis and make some decisions about what I like. I go like I don't want to think about that anymore. I'm going to think about this instead, and I can yeah. do that. Yeah. So that's the illusion we have, and we all know that we have this at least this feeling. Richard Dawkins talks about how he says I have a, a mechanical idea uh, understanding of the world and everything is a result of previous cause and effect, and we can't violate causality. We can't rise above cause and effect. We can't undo the past that got us to where we are. However, that's really hard to jive with this very strong subjective impression that we indeed do have freedom of choice. When I'm standing in, in front of my tie rack, it feels like I am choosing between the yeah. red tie and the blue tie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so is that feeling, the question isn't necessarily does free will contradict determinism, because determinism is inviolate. We all agree. Although uh, sometimes the way it is phrased is that it's um, a simplistic chain, when really cause and effect isn't a chain if this happens at, like billiard balls. Really, there's this huge causal net of millions or who knows how many different Everything's things Everything's acting happen. on everything. Yeah. And so there, there actually is no theoretical way to quantify all of that. You could not stop the universe at this split second and quantify all of those causal nets of things that are happening to you right now. I, I could, you know, I could you, in a sense, what you're saying is even if we froze the universe and took all the time in the world to figure it out, we still couldn't determine why you just scratched your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it itched. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah. So it, if, when I said, because it itched. That was a sufficient explanation. If you ask me, why did it itch? Or where did you get the impulses to move your... Well, that goes back in time a little further. And so philosophically, we can all say, let's let's stop at a sufficient explanation. Like, like did, did the... Did the shot heard around the world in Concord, Massachusetts, did that, did that cause the American Revolution? Well, yeah, but that... You know, I mean, it was one little thing in a huge, what was the cause? There was no thing that you could say was the cause. It was a huge net of causes, right? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. That. I just was watching the OJ documentary and they, they showed the Rodney King verdict when they let the cops off and the riot started. And on some level, everybody said, well, it was because they let the cops off that people rioted in LA. But if you know anything about the sociology of LA, it was decades of poverty it was it was many experiences of police brutality it was it was slavery in the very beginning of this country it was you yeah. know th there's so 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 on but but on some of you say but what caused the riots in la and you say oh it was the rodney king verdict 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, that is, if you if we understand and we know we're limiting ourselves to sufficient or proximate causes, right. we can all say, okay, that was the cause, understanding that, of course, those causes had previous causes as well. So if you're going to ask what is the cause, you're going to get into an infinite regress, and you're never going to get to a cause, right? So we're going to have to satisfy ourselves with some kind of language, which which is philosophy, really. We could say, well, that was that was the cause. Like a loose pebble could cause an avalanche, right? Right. Well, did that pebble cause the avalanche or didn't it? It started it maybe, but there was all this gravitational potential within the rock. You know, I mean, there's all these other things that happened and, and what made the pebble come loose? And so yeah. in, the, in the end, the infinite regress would take you back to because the universe is as it is, this happened. Like Yeah, so that's just like saying what happens, happens. Right. So it, which mean, if that's what determinism means, then that's just kind of a tautology and it doesn't really mean anything. So we human beings who are, we don't live at the quantum level of subatomic particles and Heisenberg and all that stuff. Unless uh, we we're live, Deepak Chopra, unless we're Deepak Chopra. And well, we that's do. true. Yeah, there's a few of us that, yeah, do tap into that. We live at what many scientists call manifest reality at the the level of a collection of particles, not individual particles. And it manifests reality, which is the biological world that we live in. We talk about cause and effect in Newtonian senses, large objects affecting other large objects, where quantum uncertainty averages out and it's not really a, it's not really a question. So at that level, we do talk about cause and effect, billiard balls. And uh, if your marriage broke up, what broke it up? You know, it wasn't just the one little thing. Or if something, you know, if you're looking for the cause of anything, you're going to have to just satisfy yourself with a point roughly where you say that was the cause, right? Okay, so 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 I think that what what if I hearing you right, and this is where you and Sam Harris would agree, is yeah. you would say, listen, my friends, you can say it was the Rodney King thing. It's much more complicated than that. But if you broke down all those factors, what you would say is, given everything that happened up to that point, there was nothing else that could have happened except what did happen. It was, you know, th there's no, what happens is what has to happen given all the previous causes. Well, I would agree, except I would say that what happened is what had to happen. At any particular moment, there's no way you're going to specify. De determinism is not contradicted by predictability because, uh, any moment in time cannot be predictable into the future, but it can be in hindsight looked back upon and say, yeah, that had to happen that way. Because if you're going to put, build this huge computer that's going to predict everything and what's going to be the next state of existence beyond this one, how are you going to specify? Can we can't even specify the value of a pi. We have to round it off somewhere, right? There's all these variables that we're not even going to be able to put into this huge computer to try to predict how all of these massive numbers of particles and things that are happening with us is going to be the next step. But after it happens, we can say what happened happened, and that's determinism. So we come to this realization where we, we realize that we don't actually have, have as much freedom or any freedom of choice, but that it feels like we do. And ironically, that the fact that it feels like we're making decisions is, is another factor that causes us to do what we do. Yeah, and we can't help it. Um, um, We're trapped in, in that my, illusion. 
Yeah, but it's a good illusion. We want the illusion. We need the illusion. It's part of what makes us human beings. We love the it's, illusion. We, we can't make any moral judgments about other human beings unless we assume that they were free to choose the action that they chose. So Sam, Sam gives a great example in his book. Uh, somebody commits a horrible crime and the jury finds them guilty. And it's just really the most heinous crime you can imagine. But then during sentencing, you learn, well, that person not only was abused as a child, but they had a brain tumor. They're still guilty, but your moral assessment of that person changes because you realize, oh, you have some sympathy for them because they weren't totally in control. Some other thing was making them do what they do. We're still going to lock them up or put them in a mental hospital. They're still going to be accountable morally, but our judgment of that person is tempered by how free we think they actually were. We're not going to hate, we're, we're not going to hate the pedophile, even though we're going to not allow the pedophile to babysit kids. Yeah, right. Or we're going to lock them up or whatever. We're going to we're going to do what we have to do to protect us from people who, for whatever reason, cause harm. So uh, I agree with all of that. And I think, uh, you know, Sam is exactly right. But in his book, he makes one statement that I question. And I wonder if he even meant to say it this way. Uh, he says we should we should abandon the illusion of free will. Uh, and if by free will, you mean libertarian free will, right? Top down, some kind of controlling essence up there. Uh, then I think what Sam had to say is we should, uh, we should abandon the idea that there is a top down libertarian free will. But we have an illusion. Why would we abandon the illusion of free will? Why don't we acknowledge that it's an illusion, embrace the illusion, and then say, let's use that illusion. Because um, in, in my case, I give the story about how I have monovision. My two eyes don't work together. And so when I'm looking at you right now on this Skype screen, I see two of you on the screen right now. One, you, maybe you can see that my eyes are a little bit twerped here. And one of my eyes is nearsighted and one's farsighted, which is perfect, right? I can see distant road signs and I can read books with no glasses. But when I put on the glasses to bring the eyes into focus, and then I see the world in 3D, that's amazing. That's incredible to see that three-dimensional. And then with that three-dimensional illusion, I know better where to put my foot here. I can... I can, can make navigate. my movement you here. Can navigate, yeah, yeah, I can navigate through life. So I think free will is an illusion that it helps us navigate moral decisions. So maybe those other people out there don't have free will, but the illusion of it that I and they have free will gives us that moral depth perception where we can make those judgments in society. See, so, right? It, yeah, it's it's so funny because. I almost feel like if you think of it like putting on glasses and you say, if I think of it this way, if I look at it this way, it'll be more beautiful to me and I'll be able to move through it more easily um, and enjoy it more. I go like, wow, that sounds sounds like a good enough reason. One of the things that I, I think I'm coming to the conclusion of it as I'm listening to you or I'm thinking about is, is that it feels to me that like when I encounter another person uh, especially somebody who's made bad choices. I want to go, you know, I, I, I want to be understanding and say like, they didn't have as much choice as, 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 as it seems. Like They're much more determined than you might think. Like I want to have compassion based on the yeah. fact. But when I look at myself and I'm deciding whether or not to cheat on my wife, I don't want to go, well, listen, if I cheat on her, obviously it's what I had to do. I want to go, you know what, I, I want to feel, so in a sense, I, I want to keep that illusion for myself because it'll make me behave better. 
Yeah, you don't want to go to, up to your wife and say, honey, uh, this happened, but you know, I had no choice. The universe made me do it, so don't blame. You get slapped in the face. Right? Well, and, <laughs> because... I, and it's just it's just not, like, uh, my chances of being the man I want to be are enhanced if I feel like I have some say in the matter. Yeah, because you're not a psychopath. You're not a sociopath. You have empathy and you feel how another person would feel if you did the actions that you did. So that plays into free will as well. So this so. is one of the few cases in which I kind of want there to be a double standard. I want to, I want to embrace a double standard where I say, well, for me, I'm free to make choices. I, like, and I'm going to act like I'm free to make choices. And when it comes to other people, I'm going to act like they're probably a lot more determined than, than they seem. And I'm going to have much more compassion on them. But I'm, I'm going to be, in a sense, somewhat hard on myself because that's going to help me. Yeah, but free or not, compassionate or not, our species needs to protect ourselves from the harm that these individuals would commit to us, whatever the reasoning. Right. Maybe they were totally incapacitated doesn't matter. brain tumor. It doesn't matter what we, motivates we, you. We still have to make this moral judgment, which um, some philosophers say uh, morality really doesn't exist within any one of us. It exists in the gaps between us. It's a... Uh, it's a, a relational looking, thing, yeah. It, it'd be like saying uh, a grain of sand is hard, right? You could scratch something with a grain of sand. But sand is soft. Where is the softness, right? So when you're looking at an individual human being, we are hard determinists. We are just totally, you know what I mean? Everything is cause and effect. But as a society, when you raise it to another level of the group, and now we're making moral decisions about other individuals around us. That space between us is what causes us to say the sand is soft now. Society is a moral society, not because any of us have gained something called free will, like this, there's this thing within us that suddenly comes to light, but because as a species, we make this assumption that we are all free. Uh, and in fact, in, in, in many cases, we don't want too much freedom. Too much freedom can be really... Labor like if you went to a restaurant and there was like a million items on the uh, on the menu, you you know you want to be you want to have less. In fact, our lives are better off if we have less need for freedom of choice, where we can sort of work automatically and then use freedom of choice for where it really matters. Yeah, no, where, it's, it's I mean it's almost like that that study they did of mustards, where if you walk into a store and there are fifty seven different kinds of mustards, people get very frustrated. If there's only one mustard, they feel very frustrated. If there's like three mustards, yeah, and you get to, like we want some choice, but we don't want too much. Um, yeah, and 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 you know it's funny. I mean, my daughter's wedding. One of the things I was saying is is that like in a sense, marriage is a limitation. You're 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 boxing yourself in here. And the ironic thing is, any artist will tell you, is that having some constraints unleashes your creativity and unleashes your imagination that if you're given a blank canvas like do anything you're free to do whatever you want to do it's very it can be almost paralyzing but if somebody says yeah. to you here's a red pencil a hat and a frog make a painting out of paint paint those yeah. then all of a sudden you're like oh how do i you know i a million opportunities emerge yeah and, or here's the 12 notes of music i'm a jazz musician so what do we got with that constraint? You know, what can I do with those notes? Yeah, what can How I do can with I... what I've been given? Yeah. Is it not unlike wave versus particle when it comes to describing light? That yeah. 
the wave description of light, light moves in a wave, explains some of the behaviors of, of light. And then the particle theory that it wave, that, that light actually acts like a, a particle, like a thing, uh, it explains it in a different way. And that they are, they're both right in, in their, in their realms, but neither of them is complete. Yeah. And are you saying like the determinism is when it comes to one way to understand the world is deterministically. And that's yeah. actually scientifically true. And another way to think of the reality is, is artistically and, or how it feels. So it may actually be one way, but it feels and we inter, interact with it in a different way. It, yeah. And, and I point out Einstein even wrestled with that paradox because Einstein was saying, how it can't be both a wave and a particle, and yet it appears that it is. If you look at it one way and you look at it another way, and, and Einstein had to say, you know, he made that famous line, God doesn't play dice with the universe. But obviously, according to quantum mechanics, that's not true. Of course, Einstein didn't believe in God, but he used that as a, as a metaphor. And Einstein even said, you know, it seems like it seems like we have to look at it both ways at once, even though that doesn't seem right. It seems like we have to do that to make sense. And, uh, you know, my and, armchair... And, and what you're saying is, is we have to look at our lives as determined and as open at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the feeling of free will is a totally different question from the fact of free will. Uh, we all have this feeling, and even the hardest determinants, even Sam Harris is going to say that he feels like he was free to write his book and that his readers are free to make a judgment about his book, right? So I think the, f the feeling of free will, which is a totally different thing, arises from, and you talked about this earlier, the fact that we don't know the future. If we knew the future, we wouldn't have free will. If you knew that you were going to choose strawberry over chocolate tomorrow, if you knew that, then you'd be stuck, right? So the fact that it, the future hasn't yet happened to us we can say that it's open. It hasn't yet happened, although whatever's going to happen. And some philosophers define free will as the fact that uh, there's only one future. There's only one possible future, but we don't feel like that. So you can picture in your brain right now, chocolate and strawberry. Only one of those is going to happen, but you don't know yet. You know you could pick either one. And yet you can then picture yourself and anticipate both options so before you make your choice, they're both open to you. Although after you make the choice, you will look back and say, no, they weren't. So the feeling comes from the ignorance of what our future decision is going to be. So free will requires ignorance, which raises a good question. If God knows the future, can he have free will? He can't be ignorant. If there's a God who knows everything. Oh, leave God out of this. God can't change his mind. Oh, stop. <laughs> so anyway, no, I uh, mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, for 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 those of us that care about the suffering of other people, God's culpability in 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 suffering, God's foreknowledge was a real, was always a real problem, and and for yeah. me, that was one of the hard parts. What's interesting is, is, you know, as I listen to you, I think of that phrase, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Which, which, which literally speaking means like I'm stuck in time. I don't know the future. So in a sense, while I may technically not be free, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can see, as far as I can tell 
for all intents and purposes, I am free. I feel free. Because I feel free, I am free. Because freedom is a feeling more than it is a reality. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I think that what you're saying to me is, dude, if you think like a jazz musician, you're going to, all of a sudden, there are all sorts of possibilities for you that if you think like a mechanic, um, you're, you're going you're gonna to lose, you're going to lose some of the imaginative, some of the beauty, some of the meaning, some of the, some of the, the, the kind of the dynamism of life. Yeah. Am I hearing you? I talked about my dad uh, playing trombone. He was a wonderful sight reader. They always put him on first chair in the big bands, you know, and he was always just great. He could, he knew his theory, he knew his chords, he knew his scales, he knew everything, but he wouldn't improvise. He wouldn't jam. When the big band chart called for a 32-bar solo with just time markings, he was helpless. He needed the music on the page, and then he would play it. And so he would always hand it to another player who could just flip it from horizontal to vertical, right? right? And so one day he sent me this big band chart, and it said, help! Uh, He put a note, help! Uh, There was this 32 bars. And so I wrote out for him, quote-unquote, an improvised solo that he could memorize. In fact, I wrote three of them for him. So he paper clipped them to his charts. And during the gigs, he would he would alternate these solos that everybody thought he was improvising. <laughs> and, and, and so the other players would turn around, hey, Barker, good blowing. That was a great solo. Well, he wasn't. He had to be stuck to this horizontal note by note. This Then he could, he could nail it, right? And I kept telling Dad, hey, throw away the music. You know your skills. Play some notes. Experiment here. Try the third. Do it. Just have some fun <laughs> with life. Wasn't this nature, man? And he couldn't. My mom could do that, you know, and I can do that. But some people just can't think outside that horizontal yeah, yeah. cause and effect of life that's because all they, deterministic. Right, because they know it. They're stuck in it. So if you can just flip the perspective ah. and just say, just say, wait a minute. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my instincts and my needs and my wants and my resources. and my, I'm going to take all of these things like they're notes that are available and I'm going to create something with them. I'm going to create my own life from that. And even when I look back on it and say, yeah, it was all predetermined, I'm still enjoying the improvising of the moment right now. And that's what it means to be a human being. We're doing this quote unquote free thing right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny that I call this program Humanize Me. And the idea of it is, is that I talk to smart people or interesting people or fun people. But when I, I have these conversations with people and the idea of the conversation is to figure out how what they're learning or how what they're thinking about, can be, we can apply it to making the most of this life, to making the most of our relationships, to, making the, to doing the most good in the world, to cultivating a sense of wonder and, and, and gratitude for the privilege of being alive in the first place. And I guess maybe that's the question I have for you is, you've thought deeply about free will. And, 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 and the question is, at the end of all that thinking, if you were talking to somebody, you were saying, listen, the reason I want you to think about it this way is not just because it's true, but because it'll help you. How do you feel like thinking this way about free will? Do you, do you feel like it's just a matter of that? It, 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 is it about making people more creative or making them more imaginative in the way that they live their lives? How do you apply this to the business of being a good man or being a good woman? 
Yes. Uh, and, and good is just a part of it. You know, sometimes you can be creative without being good or bad. But uh, I, I think what what I sum up in the book is that if you if you have free will, then your decisions are something that you own. It wasn't that you don't go into a restaurant and tell the waiter, just give me what the universe ordered. You know, you don't tell you you make you make your own decisions. You own them yourselves. So when I'm improvising in a jazz, in fact, I'm playing tonight at the, this Italian restaurant uh, in a few hours. I'll be improvising a lot of solos that I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's not scripted. And we love it that way. And the singer's going to be scatting and we're just going to be having a blast. So when you're listening to that performance, you're not hearing Mozart and Brahms being played, although that's beautiful music. It makes you cry as well. You're not hearing somebody performing somebody else's music or a, an actor reading somebody else's lines. You're in the moment. You are actually living your own life instead of reading somebody else's life, right? So if you think you're totally deterministic, then you are reading somebody else's lines. You're reading the universe's lines for your life. But if you flip it and you think, wait a minute, I'm just going to create and improvise, then I own this. This is me. And when you go to a jazz concert and you're hearing those solos, and this even happens in rock concerts too, the guitar solo can be different from gig to gig. They're just creating, right? So um, you are actually experiencing a very real moment, living human being, a, a living and expressing their lives, as opposed to somebody just reading from a script or cop. You know what I mean? A, and a so therefore you level. Can, and you can t and therefore you take responsibility for that moment. You take responsibility for your life, and you say, "What am I going to make of this? What am I going to do with this?" Yeah, you take hold of it, and even if you don't take responsibility, society will. That's what morality means. I mean, you might be a psychopath and just do what you do, but we live in a social structure and that's what gives harmony to our lives as opposed to just pure melody. The social structure be between you and me right now, the fact that we even care to talk with each other. There's a, there's a something at a higher level going on, not supernatural higher level, but it's a higher level like is sand hard or is sand soft. The, the, the group has qualities that the individual doesn't. Yeah. So society has a, Society and culture has qualities that the individual we don't have. So you own your decision. For better or for worse, society might put you on trial and judge you for that. Uh, and then you suffer the consequences. So, but so, they yeah. are you being judged. Exactly. Like So whether or not you really had free will, society will treat you as though you did because exactly. it, it can do no other. Yeah, exactly. We have so, to treat each other as free-willed people. Yeah, so if we understand free will in that sense, not in some libertarian, supernatural, soul, spirit, transcendent sense, then we can say, yes, we have free will. But when you say that, a lot of people think you, you're talking about libertarian free will. They think you're imagining that, oh, well, then you, there's some woo-woo, spooky stuff going on in the world when there's not. It's philosophical. All right, brother. I, I, I think I get it. And, 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 and of course, if I don't get it, it's not my fault. Um, because yeah, exactly. I wasn't, you had no choice. There was no yeah. way. I wasn't going to get it. Um, but mm -hmm. I feel like I get it. And as I leave this conversation, I find myself thinking, again, I want to have a lot of compassion on other people because of what I know about all the different forces that act on us. And I want to, and I want to be really responsible about my own decisions yeah. because that even if it's an illusion that I'm responsible for my own decisions, it is an illusion that, that enriches 
and 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 makes makes meaningful my day-to-day existence yeah yeah thanks so much for talking with me about this stuff man well this is fun uh, yeah i think we're on the same wavelength here yeah 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 uh, and, and 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 again like you know like thanks for what you're doing every day to keep a, to, to try to, to keep this country or to make this country even more a place where people can pursue life and pursue goodness in, in a whole wide variety of ways. And rather than having it imposed on them or having it in, in having their freedom to do that infringed upon, I, I'm just, I can't tell you how grateful I am um, for the work that you're doing. It, 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 you, you really do make, you know, in the same way I'm grateful for Sam Harris and all those kind of anti-theistic people, like, like, by 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 you 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 folks have made space and you protect the space in which i'm able to try to motivate people to 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 pursue goodness and i'm just so grateful well thanks for saying that there's no funner job in the world i gotta tell you thanks man we'll talk soon bye all right so that's me and dan barker i enjoyed that conversation and i hope there was something there for you too And like I said, we're working hard on the podcast. It's going to get better soon. And uh, in the meantime, you want to find out about more of this stuff, you know where to find me, bartcampolo.org. I'll talk to you soon. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.